part two of 1979. I'm Alan, and I'm Mark, and we're gonna keep ex- we're gonna keep uh, blowing the moss off of uh, <laughs> some of the, the, this whole year, and uh, and I've I've had a great time so far, um, yeah. remembering and looking back and hating on and all yeah. that other stuff. Se- 79 brings back a lot of really good memories for me. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah the, especially in film. I mean, it was it was. It, it's 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 funny to see that you know that there was only what was it two hundred and some releases we looked at, yeah. Which is I mean that's like three months now of of, of, of releases, mm-hmm. you know that. Um, I guess well I, I would say that all the cream rose to the top because you know there's there's a bit of uh, scum floating around the bottom <laughs> there, but but the, you know for the most part the stuff that got made was was made because there was some some desire for it well or, or, yeah. yeah you know some somebody thought that it was it was worthy of uh of being immortalized on film and, and not just because you know they had a camcorder and time to kill so. yeah and some of it has already been remade today i know i know it'd be awesome to see some of these movies made today i mean for the first time for the first time i don't know i kind of i kind of like that we grew up watching these. That that this is our base. This is this is what formed our opinion of, of what film is. And maybe we wouldn't be as receptive now. Or and maybe we would have been raised on so much garbage that we couldn't appreciate it. Yeah. This is true. That said, let's carry on. Alrighty. Honestly, don't know. I don't think she does. Uh, whenever Mrs. Kissel breaks wind, we beat the dog. Next, we're going to talk about um, some actors that were influential or made a big impact in 1979. Um, We've each picked five, and uh, I'm kind of curious to see who you picked and see what kind of overlap we end up having here. All righty. Uh, let you go first there. Uh, my first pick was David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors. Okay. Uh, very iconic uh, thing of him with the two bottles in his fingers going, Warriors, come out to play. Hey. Remember that? Thing? Remotely. Oh, see that that that's that sticks in everybody's head who's watched the world. I remember so. it. I remember the line. I couldn't pick the guy who said it out of a police line. Oh, uh, I could, but he's uh, he normally uh, he's still acting today. But uh, yeah, that he seems to be known for. So I thought that was like a really breakout role for him, or or just being like completely super typecast. At that point, because of that. Okay, um, my list is of ladies. <laughs> like it's almost all. I don't know. It is all women because I had to narrow it down to five, so I had to drop the one guy I had on. Uh, first off is uh, Jane Fonda. J- 
Jane Fonda had a, uh, a really good year uh, with Electric Horseman and... Um, China Syndrome. China Syndrome. She broke back into the mainstream after being Hanawai Jane for for so long and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of being the outcast um, and, and so so vilely hated for so many years. She managed to work her way back into the mainstream and in the next year, in 1980, she'd probably have her biggest hit of all, which was 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. And this was a great springboard, letting her back into the mainstream. And yeah, Jane Fonda, she had a, she had a great year. Alrighty. Um, Steve Martin and the Jerk. I've already explained why I like him. Like He just seemed to do a superb job in this movie. Uh, I like I liked his comedic stylings back in the day. Good stuff. Um, okay, I modified my list again, so there's one more man in. So. <laughs> but next uh, for me is Sigourney Weaver. She she splashed onto the scene in a big way, and she really never misstepped after this. Can you name a bad Sigourney Weaver film? No. No. She has – this was the beginning of a very, very intelligent career. And um, and she, she was – she became the, the 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 iconized fucking female hero, man. You know, she was tough when she had to be. She didn't take any mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, with and it didn't diminish the fact that she was beautiful and 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 feminine and everything else. So. Yeah, and coincidentally enough, third on my list. Yeah. See, I, I knew that we were gonna merge at that point. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Uh, yeah, like like we had mentioned before, this. Like Alien was her first big movie, where like she was the star, and kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. It was awesome. And to take a a big role like that, a um, a central role that that was that was so hinged on on um on her performance and and to carry it as a as like just as a total newbie, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Um, next on my list is uh, Dudley Moore. Ten was huge. It was huge for him. And after playing Second Banana in a lot of films, he finally he finally did it. You know, he was um, he he was the star, the leading man, and and he was hilarious doing it. Uh, he was in what Foul Play, I believe Hound of Baskervilles, but always playing very uh, Second Banana comedic role. And and Dudley Moore against all odds became a leading man in 1979 <laughs> yeah um, my next one was uh, Gil Gerard in Buck Rogers um, I hadn't heard of him before that I don't know I haven't checked the IMDB if he's done anything else before that but uh, to me even if they remake something I, he is Buck Rogers to me have you heard of him since then though well, yeah, he did that. What, was that Rescue 911 or was that Shatner? Um, I believe that was Shatner, I think. But no, he, he did he did a, a show similar to that. Or, yeah, he did, like, it was a, he hosted a show where people were saved by other people. Okay. I will, I will take you on your word on that. <laughs> okay, next I have Meryl Streep. This was a big year for Meryl Streep. She had three films, Woody Allen's Manhattan, Kramer vs. Kramer, and The Seduction of Joe Tynan. Um, she had just received an Academy Award nomination the year before for Deer Hunter, and this year she would win. 
for Best Supporting Actress um, for Kramer versus Kramer, her first of several wins, as I recall. Um, and pretty much after this point, it's, you can just pretty much see her hopping from what are just iconic, dramatic acting roles to, I mean, just boom. After this was, you know, French Lieutenant's Woman, Sophie's Choice, blah, 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 and, blah, blah, blah. And she was known for, like, completely diving into the role, oh. like almost early Dustin Hoffman-ish. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So this good. was a big year for her. Uh, last guy on my list was Frank Langella in Dracula. Ah, cool. So you've come to England, Count, to settle down. To settle down? No, hardly that. I've come to wander through the crowded streets of London, or to be here, in the midst of the whirl and rush of humanity, to share its life, its change, its death. You. Uh... You have a great lust for life, Count. How well you phrase it. Uh, he made Dracula sexy. Yeah. Although, yeah. Um, even though, yeah, me being the straight male, um, okay, slightly, slightly crooked. Um, yeah, he was awesome. He's got an awesome voice. His, his presence is just so huge like he's yeah yeah it made me want to get bit <laughs> and uh my number one my, my top star of the year Bo Derek. this was 10 was her third film and I mean her first film was seen by nobody her second one she had her leg bitten off by a killer whale and then she became the iconic image of I mean, into the 80s I mean the, the, she owned she owned the early part of uh of, of the 80s that was her and Orca? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Annie. Um, yeah. I remember buying magazines that were dedicated to Bo Derek. It was cover to cover Bo Derek. It was, you know, it, um, she was it. She was it. She was all of that. And for the, a small role in a big film with very little to say, she, she did. She became, I, I don't, I, you know, I can't even... I struggle to think of anybody that is as big as as she is for as little reason. Well, with possibly the exception of Paris Hilton, but I mean, Bo Derek was universally thought as completely hot, not you know, just because somebody got some um, yeah green film image of her with a dick in her mouth. Yeah, <laughs> and um, what I found strange about uh, Bo Derek when I first saw pictures of her naked in Playboy. Um, John Derrick's previous wife, Linda Evans. Anders, my Anders. Holy smokes, they all look exactly the yeah. same. They, 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 they could all be sisters. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah, but yeah, so Bo Derrick, she's my number one star of the year. All right. And yours? I've done all mine. Did you? you yeah, first? I remember I started. Okay. Look at me, keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as well as actors, uh, there was a couple of directors who had a good year. At least I could only think of a couple. <laughs> yeah. How about yourself? Again, only a couple, and I'm pretty sure that our list is going to merge on our two directors we've got here, okay, too. Okay, well, you go first. Let me, let's me let see who you got. Ridley Scott. Uh, Ridley Scott, the god. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't really say much more. We've already talked about him. Yeah. 
Um, no, this was his. Um, this was his big breakout. Um, he had done the Duelist prior to that with uh, Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. and um, which was a period costume drama and everything else. There was absolutely no way that you could see Alien coming, and <laughs> and I mean even from Alien, he springboard even deeper into a, a richer, more visionary future with Blade Runner, and and he just kept on trucking since then. Yeah, this this was a banner year for for Ridley Scott. Yeah, I man, fantastic guy. Yeah. And your other? Uh, my second one was um, James Bridges, who directed The China Syndrome. Um, um what has he done he, since? Well, see, I don't know, but oh. he has done. Uh, he pulled fantastic performances out of every one of those actors and tied it all together nicely. I... Well, uh, did he? Because, I mean, you you, t- you, you listen to somebody like... Um, yeah, I mean, you got some really top-caliber actors there. And a lot like Ridley Scott, who chose his cast because he expected them to do the work on their own. He was going to be taking care of the visual aspects of the film, and he expected them to work on the performance. A lot like um, Hitchcock did, you know? Um, there are actors, directors, and there are director directors you know mm. and Rid Scott is definitely of, of the latter but yeah interesting um, let me just do a quick little check to see what else he's done um, uh, he directed Urban Cowboy and uh, Bright Lights Big City okay also the movie The Paper Chase which the, you, you remember the TV series uh, Paper Chase yeah, the movie actually had Lindsay Wagner in it, I believe. Hey, join me some Bionic Woman. Me too. <laughs> um, my other director that I picked was Werner Herzog. Um, he really kind of came to, at least North American attention with Nosferatu. I mean, I remember even seeing pictures for Nosferatu in my highlights magazine. <laughs> like, it was. Did you know that Nosferatu, the, the the Werner Herzog version, is rated G in Quebec? Really? Yeah, I mean it. It it's relatively bloodless. Like it, um, it is. Mm-hmm. It's very atmospheric. But um, yeah, it really brought him to sort of, you know, he he had a lot of uh, a lot of fame in in Europe. But I think it really brought him to to North American attention. And even at that, I mean, he still didn't really break out until um, Grizzly Man and uh, uh, Rescue Dawn over here in America. He he was more of a cult f- figure at that point. And uh, his next project is going to be the remake, reboot, reimagining, whatever the hell you want to call it, of Bad Lieutenant. But I, why? I know, I know. But you know what? Hey, let the man's bills be paid. It's all I got to say. So, but yeah, this, yeah. this that was I thought it was a uh, it was a good year for Werner Herzog. Just but yeah, just uh, yeah, because his movie was a reimagining of the 1922 Murnoff film. We'll get there. Don't, oh, sorry. don't don't blow the wad here yet, dude. Okay, I'm not gonna do any more <laughs> about it then. All right. Actually you've saved way well into our next genre, which is the horror genre. Yes. Um and uh, since we're since we're talking about Herzog um and, and, and Nosferatu, um I think it should be noted here that we have three films in nineteen seventy nine about Dracula. We had Love at First Bite, which, no pun intended. Well, okay, maybe a little intended. Sucked. <laughs> um, we've got the 1979 um, Frank Langella Dracula, which you referred to. Yeah. And we have Werner Herzog's 
Nosferatu. I enjoy saying Nosferatu. So <laughs> I will say it again. Yeah, I found it really, really, really strange that uh, the original 1922 version of that was deemed so scary that it was banned yeah. and destroyed. Yeah. Except for like like a single print. I don't know. That's not why it was banned and destroyed, dude. It was banned and destroyed because Bram Stoker's widow had the rights to Dracula, which were never got to make the film. So they ended up changing all of the characters' names, but it was still very, 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 very thinly. It, it didn't cover the fact that it was Dracula they, they were telling. And in fact, in Werner Herzog's version, um, he actually starts using the characters' names again. Um, Dracula and, and uh, Jonathan Harker and all that sort of stuff Red because yeah, because the um, the rights had lapsed on Dracula and it was it was in the public domain and he could use those names again. Uh, yeah, no, the reason it was destroyed was because of copyright infringement. Even back then, even back then, even wow. back then, yeah. Um, so, but it's it's really interesting to see three different takes on the Dracula story as as it as it happened in '79. You had Werner Herzog's, which, you know, is very meditative, very tranquil, very, I mean, ironically enough, I mean, you're talking about a story about a bloodsucker who brings the plague to to a village, and, and yet it, it is a very, very quiet, meditative film. You have Love at First Bite, which is a... I think, I think I'm being a little unfair, maybe not, with it in that... Um, it was just very of its time. It was um, that there's going to be films now in 2008 that you're going to look factor. at in 30 years and say, yeah. you know, it was very of its time. The the fashion, the music, the the story, the jokes, everything were very dated. Um, and and the 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 John Badham version of Dracula, which mm. um, starred Frank Langella. Which brought fucking sexy back to fucking Dracula, man. Like, seriously, it's borderline masturbation material. And not that it's explicit or anything else or like that. It's just that it is just dripping with sexuality. Kate Milligan is gorgeous. Um, Frank Langella is fucking gorgeous. Like, you know. I remember the, my, my cousin had the, had, had the LP of the soundtrack for that. And yeah, on one side is just Frank Frank Langella, like staring out at you, yeah. and they just the the lighting and everything. It's like yeah, it was powerful looking. It, it was, you know, and it, it. I mean, we'd seen the horror. I mean, we we've seen the different iterations of, of Dracula. You know, Nosferatu with the the rat face and the the little teeth and the mm-hmm. the bat ears and everything. Absolutely repulsive. Um, you know, George Hamilton's Dracula was a little bit too charming. And he had a tan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and then you had Frank Langella, who was just oh, gripping and 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 you wanted you would you you seriously. I mean, if he was banging at your window, wanting in, you'd be sitting there going, "Okay, a life of taking other lives to to okay, okay, I, I could be swung, I could be swayed." <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I thought it, it's, it's, it was it was a banner year for Dracula, nineteen seventy nine. Um, I don't. Also, kind of directly but indirectly, Salem's Lot, which was a TV miniseries, came out in seventy nine. Um, it was released theatrically in Europe, but pretty much it was the same type of vampire as Nosferatu. 
it was the mm-hmm. the, 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 the you wouldn't do that <laughs> Dracula vampire whatever you want to call it. yeah um, we haven't aside from the Clonus horror we really haven't and the Amityville horror we haven't really talked about too many horror films of 79 not that there was an abundance of them but there were some good ones oh yeah um, my I pray to the altar of David Cronenberg anybody who knows me I had a cat named Cronenberg man I just I love me some Cronenberg he makes me proud to be Canadian and 1979 uh, was the release of The Brood. I remember seeing this at uh, the Elliott Lake Film Festival. It was held on. It was held by by, by by my high school. Every every year they brought in films, and this was one of the ones that I snuck into. And yeah, yeah. No, The Brood's Creepy. fantastic. It's uh, it's about externalizing your rage, and um, in, in typical David Cronenberg fashion, it's where you know the body and 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 the the horror meld and you have this biological terror thing happening uh samantha Eger plays a um uh, a recent divorcee who has gone into treatment with uh all oliver reed playing the doctor who what is it called psychoplasmosis or something like that where you are externalizing your rage which was coming out in different iterations like tumors and and it was just, uh, there was some nasty stuff happening at the clinic um, Art Hindle plays her ex-husband who's taking care of their daughter who is kind of wigging out and coming back all broken and, and bruised and everything else and it just it's cool it, it is a it, it's Cronenberg just before he broke he, he's right on the cusp here I think after the uh, no I think Rabbit would have come just before this so next up would have been Scanners which was Cronenberg's big breakthrough film. oh yeah and um but I mean, he was he was laying the groundwork here. It, it, the Brood is a fantastic film. Um, also, in horror, we had uh, Phantasm, which became fairly iconic and has has spawned several sequels. Mm-hmm. You've seen? I've seen Phantasm. Yeah. Um, again, quite some time ago. Camera much much better right now. Visually very impressive. I mean, the, the, those flying orbs with the the blades coming out and the drill yeah. and just it, there, there's some really great stuff. And I mean, it it kind of brings that kind of zombie thing into it, but on a different level, um, different dimension, as it were, and uh, just really really cool. And then quite possibly, I think uh, one of our favorite horror movies from that year, When a Stranger Calls. Oh, great film. Creeped everybody the fuck yeah. right out uh carol kane playing the babysitter hello have you checked the children dr mandrakis have you checked the children <laughs> <laughs> the call I, it's coming from inside the, the house. house yes it's a great film and if you haven't seen it, you're so fucked now because it was just ruined. But, <laughs> but I mean that that whole scene is is so. Um, everybody knows it. Everybody knows that story, and everybody mm-hmm. seems to think that that's where the movie ends. But that is the first thirty minutes of the film. There's a whole hour after that, which is uh, it's just a great. Movie. It, it's it's so cool. Charles Durning is fantastic in it. Colleen Dewhurst, um, everybody involved. Great film. Um, also that year was The Changeling with um, George C. Scott which has garnered 
amazing cult status now. Like that that is considered to be one of the great ghost stories of, of all time. Huh, and I don't remember it at all. Oh, really? Oh. Um, George C. Scott, he moves to this uh, town, he gets the house, he starts hearing things and um, starts uncovering the house's history and, and uh, what's causing the strange phenomenon. It's a great movie. It's uh, it's rated PG. I mean, like, it is it is very effective um, at what it does without having to, to try and gross you out by scaring you. Great movie. Hmm. I think that pretty much covers the horror films of 79. Uh, um, strangely enough, uh, well, okay, Amityville Horror has been remade. Clonus Horror was remade as The Island. Mm-hmm. Um, Salem's Lot's been remade, hasn't it already? Nope. Really? Nope. I thought it was. When a Stranger Calls has been remade. Yeah. Uh, well, this is the yeah. period where you, you start seeing all of that stuff really start getting recycled. Um, I think it's because probably the guys in Hollywood that are greenlighting this stuff um, or, or, or proposing it are probably like us. They grew up on this stuff and everything else, and they just want to get their dirty little fucking fingerprints all over everything. You little bastards. Mm-hmm. As in any other year, the bulk of, uh, of films tend to fall into the dramatic realm. Um, 79 being no exception we've already talked about quite a few of them um genres are always a sticky thing and there's a lot of overlap you know um definitely apocalypse now could be thrust into the the, the drama action well, a more, little bit more, because there's yeah. there's some action in there's it. action scenes but um but we've already talked about that um we talked about the electric horseman which definitely falls into this category um kramer versus kramer which has which does um, we've talked about Nosferatu now which was like I said very meditative and almost more of a drama than, than a horror film we've talked about Rocky 2 um, and briefly talked about the Warriors but maybe you'd like to talk about it more now um, I liked it <laughs> um, a little I just, premise for us maybe um Okay, uh, there's this gang of like, there's a huge gathering of all the gangs in New York, and uh, somebody kills the top dog, and everybody thinks it's this one small little gang of people, and they have to make it back to their own home turf. Those small group of people, they wouldn't by chance be called, oh, I don't know, the Warriors? Oh, I don't know. Hey, that'd probably be them. That would probably be them. Led by, if I'm not mistaken, James Remar. Uh, you would be mistaken. I am mistaken. It would be Michael Beck. That's right. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, but James Remar is in there too. Yeah, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the leader. It was Michael Beck. Um, yes, the Warriors are framed for the for the killing of I forget what his name the is. Top Dog, I think it was. No, it was, was like it was some other silly name. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it the Warriors is is a great gritty, um, drama action chase uh, cat and mouse and who doesn't know somebody that didn't dress up as those baseball gang for halloween one year i thought you dressed up as one of the lezzies well that lizzies or whatever they were called shh. <laughs> that's um, that's that was between you and me yeah also and this was uh deborah van valkenberg who 
was probably one of the least attractive wannabe leading women in, in film the history. She always looked like she had been ridden really fucking hard and put away really, really wet. <laughs> she was in this, and then she was in uh, King of the Mountain with uh, Harry Hamlin. And then after that, she was on a TV series called um, Too Close for Comfort with uh, oh. Ted um, from Mary Tyler Moore Show. Ted yeah, Knight. Ted Knight. And I always, I always looked at her and wondered, going, how did, who thought that was yum? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it, but the Warriors is a great film, and it is, it is such a huge cult, cult classic. Um, even now, it's still getting reissued time after time in uh, different little DVD iterations. And weren't they going to be remaking that as well? I, th- I wouldn't doubt that they're not. You know, I don't know try not to think about it <laughs> also that year in another gang film was the wanderers with uh, ken wall and karen allen uh, it was a little bit more comedic and again more of a cult it became more of a cult film than anything else it wasn't uh wasn't a really big breakthrough film for for anyone except kind of uh getting karen allen noticed uh before she did uh Raiders of the lost ark and Ken Wall before he became the wise guy. I um, just wanted to break in here. Uh, the Warriors is being remade and uh, due out in 2010 by director Tony Scott. Really? Really. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And on we go. <laughs> and it's based in L.A., but not, not New York. Did you say New York? Well, uh, the, the remake is based in uh, L.A. Okay. And the, the original is based in New York. All right. Also in 1979 was uh, The Champ with uh, John Voight and oh, Faye Dunaway. Good movie. Big, big tearjerker. Um, he, he's been raising his son for years. The wife comes back into the picture. He's got a big fight. It's... Uh, it's a, it's a big bring a box of tissue kind of movie, but it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we had Hardcore. Oh, this is such a great movie. Have you ever seen Hardcore? Sounds familiar. George I... C. Scott, Season Hubley. Um, he's a um, Calvinist. And he, the group of kids leave the colony to go to L.A. for some sort of conference conversions whatever um his daughter disappears while he while they're there and he goes looking for her after finding out that she is now in porn industry jim sloan sometimes they call me jism jim yeah, that's not true jim oh as a matter of fact i think you're very close to the type we've been looking for oh yeah well uh i've done a lot of good work you know uh uh, shorts, features, no major roles yet, it's true, but uh, it's all been really good stuff. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, I've seen some of your stuff. I like your looks. I particularly liked you uh, in this film. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was made by some college kids. It's called Slave of Love? God, I don't know what it was called. I never even saw it. I only got 25 bucks for the whole goddamn thing. Well, I liked you. I also liked the girl. I really thought she was good. I was wondering, uh, she's still around, she's still working. Just wait a minute. I need the work. 
and I want to be in your picture. But that is one bitch that I will not work with again. That was one freaky bitch, man. I don't know what she was into. I don't know what she was on. I just don't want anything to do with her again, okay? You know what she did to me? My prick was so red and sore and chewed out, I couldn't walk for a goddamn week. Ah. This was almost kind of sort of remade as 8mm. Yes. But um, I've never really been a big George C. Scott fan. He fucking kicks ass in this movie. He is so good in this. Um, and it's a Paul Schrader directed it. He went on to do Cat People. I, I think I did directors. see this uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, great movie. Um, the Black Stallion also came out in '79, and uh, it it was a perfect little movie. I I enjoyed the hell out of it. You know, just yay! Mm-hmm. I remember. Wasn't that a Mickey Rooney movie? I believe so. And I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also in '79 was uh, Paul Verhoeven's Soldier of Orange. With uh, Rutger Hauer and Jerome Crabb on uh, World War II drama, usually not my kind of thing. I managed to make it through because it is, after all, Verhoeven. Yes, and Rutger Hauer and Jerome Crabb. Yeah, um, all fantastic guys. Yes, it, it was. Also, in '79 uh, was the release of The Onion Field, mostly notable for the um, the performance by James Woods, who really. Got himself noticed that year and, and became a, a much bigger star subsequently. Um, Norma Ray came out in 1979, which won uh, Sally Field her first Oscar. Yep. Playing a laborer who uh, brings the union into into the company, much to the chagrin of her employers. Employers. Yeah. Um, this was her first win. This wasn't the "you like me, you really like me" win. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a horrible ad, that, that Oscar. <laughs> it was a little embarrassing. Um, I'm just scanning through the titles here, trying to think of what really needs to be be noted. I am, what should be noted maybe is the Tin Drum, which was a German film, which I don't know if it won foreign language film or if it was nominated, but I know that it, it, Again, another one that has a strong following even after all of these years. Um, Tim, which was one of... Uh, I'm trying to remember if this was before Road Warrior or not, but it was one of um, Mel Gibson's first performances. He and all who played the mother and Carrie. I love her. Piper Laurie. Hmm. Uh, he plays a mildly mentally handicapped man and she plays a spinster who he does some handiwork for, and she ends up falling in love with him. Well, it would be before Road Warrior because Mad Max came out in 79. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say Mad Max. Oh, okay. Um, the premise sounds a little icky, but it's actually a pretty sweet and endearing movie. I really liked it. Hmm. Um, we didn't talk about Manhattan yet. I was going to kind of wait till we got to the to the Academy Awards, but if we yeah. want, if we must... No, no, let's, well, let's, let's hold off on it, that. It's on the table. It's on the table. Let, let's, uh, let's, 
let's give it the shit kicking it deserves because I'm going to say it right here and right fucking now. Manhattan sucks ass. It was horrible. Uh, I struggled to stay awake watching oh, it. No, you didn't struggle to stay awake. You fell fucking asleep. I, only at the very end. And it's only ninety six minutes long. I how know. much? Um, but um, the whole thing about yeah, this like forty forty two year old man having an affair with a seventeen year old girl. Ick. Um, hello, that kind of was like a future echo of what he did. But uh, okay, here's the thing. I believe that Woody Allen has, in his career, had moments of absolute fucking brilliance. However, I think he has spent 90% of his time masturbating on screen. Yes. Living out his fucking sexual fantasies. I, this is not... We do not live in a world where Mariel Hemingway falls in love with Woody Allen. We do not live in a world where Helena Bonham Carter falls in love with Woody Allen. We do not live in a world where Charlize <laughs> Theron falls in love with Woody Allen. We do not live in a world where Scarlett Johansson falls in love with fucking Woody Allen at 60, 70 now. Yeah. You know, I, you know what? I'm glad the man has fucking fantasies. I'm glad that he's able to put them down on fucking paper. I'm, I'm even happy that he manages to get the financing to get the fucking things made. But I really don't need him to squirt his load all over, on the, all over a fucking screen. And, and, and tell me that it's fucking entertainment. And that's not to say that I hate Woody Allen. There are some great Woody Allen films. Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex. Yeah. A Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. Um, Interiors. Uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. I, I'm dying to see Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I think it's going to be fantastic. But 90% of the time, it's Woody Allen being Woody Allen. It's like, look how much of a fucking genius I am. Yeah. And yeah, it it was off putting. Yeah, yeah. It it um. I know that this is is a really highly revered film with critics. Considered one of his best. Considered one of his best. Um, it was nominated for several Academy Awards, and I just I don't see it. I just don't see it. It eludes me. I. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really didn't mean to get as fucking venomous about it as I just did, but it really pissed me off because I have always, I have for the last 30 years thought that I have been missing out on something because I have not seen Manhattan. Yeah, and like, yeah, everybody considers Woody Allen to be like, yeah, like this, this amazing comic genius for writing these really intricate, convoluted uh, scripts, but this was bit. I'm sorry, uh, but if you're a Woody Allen fan, um... <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I'm really not seeing anything else that we really need to, to press on here. Um, so perhaps we can move on to... So let's... Um, there's, there's a few films in 79 that kind of defy the conventional or the usual um, onslaught of, of genre. Um, first off is uh, Milos Forman's hair. Yes. I remember watching this, actually. On TV again when I was sick one time. Yeah, it was weird. Spent a lot of time sick, don't you? Uh, when I was a kid, yes. Uh, as an adult, almost never. Um, it, I, I really... I, I know I've seen it, and I know that I really enjoyed it. It um, starred Treat Williams and Beverly D'Angelo, who... At, at the, 
this point in her career, she was popping up in little things here and there, and she is fucking adorable. Um, I think next year, 1980, I think is where we'll really be mentioning Beverly D'Angelo. But um, she was in it. Um, I think Nell Carter is in the opening sequence doing the fucking big dance on the fucking stage. And I, I know that there's a lot of talent there and everything, but I am really not a 60s child it, as much as I... Oh, John Savage is in it as well. Too, yes, he is. Yeah. He's the, he's the soldier that they... Claude Hooper Bukowski. Yeah. And, you know what? It wasn't a bad movie, and considering that's a musical and it didn't chase me away, I think it's a really good thing. Um, and my Milos Forman, come on, come on. We're talking about the guy who did Amadeus and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Belmont. He's a great, great, great filmmaker. Enough said. Um, a little oddity that you and I were talking about last night, we were having quite a chuckle over was the Mountain Family Robinson. Yes. <laughs> which was uh, apparently the third of the uh, Wilderness Family Adventures. Yeah, it was the third of three. And uh, I can remember nothing, nothing about it, but I'm sure that I've seen it in the movie theater. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was one of those, like, Sunday matinee kind of movies you go to see because your parents don't watch in the house. Yeah. And they give you a dollar to go, go to the show, you know? Yeah, it was, um, it, it was a non-Disney, Disney live-action feature almost. <laughs> it, it, it really kind of filled that convention. And you're always some hapless child wandering into, you know, a cougar or something like yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like grizzly adams only way with a whole family yeah yeah but i remember i remember going to them all and fucking eating it up with a fucking spoon uh 79 was also big breakthrough year for bed midler uh with the rose yep she got herself an academy award nomination and a huge hit with the song the rose uh frederick forrest was in it as well too playing the the guy that was sort of out to look out for her um, pre-Kevin Costner, the bodyguard, and um, <laughs> trying to keep her out of trouble. It, it's a thinly veiled account of uh, Janis Joplin. Yeah, and all those drugs. Yeah, it's it, a tragic, tragic, tragic movie. Loved it. Made me cry. Also, we had the villain with uh, Kirk Douglas and Anne Margrock and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Anne Margrock. <laughs> <laughs> She'll always be Anne Margrock to me. Ah, yes. It was a very, very, very slapstick comedy western. Um, I, I have Arnie peripheral... Arnie was the handsome stranger. Yeah, I have peripheral memories of it. There had to been a lot of really big, broad action sequences that was all about the physical comedy because I kind of thought that it was a silent film. Yeah, because, well, I'm pretty sure that Arnie wasn't speaking a lot in this <laughs> because uh, at this time... Uh, his command of the English language was limited. Also in 1979, uh, this, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna because I have to wear my disgrace with as much pride as everything else. The movie, the North Avenue Irregulars came out. I honestly could not tell you for the life of me what it was about. I think it had something to do with a bunch of women in a church group that had to raise money for something. And, Something, some sort of hijinks ensued. <laughs> All I remember is I laughed so hard in this movie that I couldn't breathe. It was me <laughs> trying to gasp air as I slammed into the back of my theater seat for about two or three minutes. It was almost to the point where I thought I was going to die a little bit. 
but something about it tickled me to the point that I that I thought it was fucking geniusly hysterical. I don't want to see it again as an adult because uh, I know I will be so deeply disappointed. Which I have been. Even today, I did something stupid. I watched something that I remembered from being like being super fun and exciting when I was a kid, and I watched it today. And Watching your penis grow. Yeah, that's always fun and exciting. Oh. But yes, even more so when I was a kid. Um, and now it's just sad and lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where were we? Something about your childhood disappointment or your adult disappointment. Yeah, just, just watching something that I thought was awesome as a kid. Like, even the black hole. Like, the awesomeness that that was back in 1979 and realizing just how crappy it was. So what was the... Oh, that was Black Hole? No, no. It was something about the Little Rascals. All right. Yeah, that's totally not a 79. No, that's like 1920-something or 1938 or something. Also on the Western Front in 1979 was a film that I know you enjoyed. Yes. Uh, Butch and Sundance, the early years. Uh, or the early days. Early years? Early, early days. Early days. Um, with William Catt, who we know from Greatest American Hero. And, and Carrie. And House. Carrie. The movie. And Carrie. And Carrie. Oh, yeah. And, um... Who's Tommy? And, uh, Tom Berenger as, uh, the other guy. <laughs> He's Butcher Sundance. Flip a coin, dude. <laughs> uh, one of them, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it wasn't, uh, Newman and Redford by any stretch of the imagination, but... It was still a fun little romp, and you got to see the the early days. Like, it was a sequel that was a prequel. I I kind of like that. <laughs> I have to say, I haven't seen it. I actually haven't even seen the original Butch and Sundance. <gasps> I'm I'm not a Western fan, but I I will make the promise now to watch it before we get to was that a sixties film or seventies film. Oh God! Let it be a sixties film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that kind of sews up the last of the odds and ends. Um, we can move now into what the critics thought were uh, the best of '79. Primarily, the two critics of that era. Uh, that would be one, Mister uh, Gene Siskel, and uh, Roger Ebert. I'll take the Siskel list if you want to do the Ebert. I will indeed. Okay, Gene Siskel picked for his number 10, The China Syndrome. And Roger Ebert picked for his 10, 10. Okay. It's kind of, what, what, what's the word, serendipitous? Yes. And uh, Siskel picked for number 9, Time After Time, the uh, time-traveling movie that we were talking about earlier. And Ebert picked Nosferatu. Uh, number eight was The Onion Field for Gene Siskel. And he picked The China Syndrome for number eight. Uh, Nosferatu hit number seven for Gene Siskel. Roger Ebert thought that Kramer versus Kramer was only in his seventh place. Um, number six for Siskel was The Marriage of Maria Braun. Yeah, and number six is another movie that I didn't hear about, St. Jack. Uh, number five from Gene Siskel, which, I mean, I'm going to have to bust his nuts for this a little bit, but, oh, yeah, I can't, uh, would be Manhattan. Uh, number five for Ebert was Hair. Number four for Siskel, which is one that we probably should have 
tried to see, but we didn't get a chance to, which was uh, breaking away. Yeah. Uh, did, 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 did we have even locate it anywhere? Or no. That's the problem. You know? yeah, it's hard to it. find 1979s. Yeah. Um, the number four movie for Roger Ebert was The Marriage of Maria Braun. Number three for Gene Siskel was The Deer Hunter. Also for Ebert. Which uh, must have been a release issue because I think that's going to be a 78 film for us. Yes, uh, it, it was released in 78, but yeah. I think it had its its most theatrical yeah. days was Qualified in 79. Okay. Um, because, yeah, because it, it, it won the Oscar in 78. Yeah. 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 Uh, number two for Gene Siskel was Kramer versus Kramer. And Ebert was breaking away. And number one for Siskel was Hair. And Roger Ebert, in a fit of insanity, picked Apocalypse Now as his number one <laughs> shot. Hey, the movie's got a lot of fans. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. Okay, and um, also that year, um, the Academy, as it always does, presented its trophies to what they consider to be the finest films that year, which... Um, Let's switch this up. I will do director first. Um, nominees were uh, Peter Yates for Breaking Away, um, Eduardo Monolaro for La Caja Full, which another film we didn't really mention, but it's probably one of the earlier films, foreign films that I became aware of, even though I didn't like it. Actually, I like The Birdcage better. Yeah, yeah the remake with, with uh, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams was a lot better. Um, Bob Fosse was nominated for All That Jazz and Francis Ford Coppola for Apocalypse Now but the winner was Robert Benton for Kramer vs. Kramer yes um, what do supporting actress okay best supporting actress um, uh, Mariel Hemingway was nominated for uh, her role in Manhattan uh, Candace Bergen for hers in Starting Over Barbary Barbary Berry, wow, what a hard name to say, in Breaking Away, Jane Alexander in Kramer vs. Kramer. Great performance. And Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. Who won? Uh, who actually won. Now, I am I was a little bit confused with this. Like, why was she a, a supporting actress? You think about the grand total of, of her I know she like about like, well, like, like 10, 15 minutes tops in the movie. Well, but... I probably pushed it up to about 20, but courtroom stuff so but she is the main actress in the movie isn't she not well yeah but i mean if it was a movie with all about men you couldn't pick the most effect and make him the best actress so. i guess yeah like like in glenn gary again glenn ross there you go yeah um best supporting actor we had mickey rooney nominated for the black stallion and i'm out <laughs> <laughs> Justin Henry, who uh, managed to garner himself an Academy Award nomination. As the youngest uh, ever. Yeah. Eight years old. For Kramer vs. Kramer. Uh, Frederick Forrest in The Rose, who was amazing. Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now. And Melvin Douglas actually won for being there. Yeah, he was the the old man, the millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Best Actress uh, nominated was Bette Midler for her portrayal in The Rose. Um, Marsha Mason in Chapter her. Two. I love Marsha Mason, uh, which was kind of an autobiographical movie about uh, her and her ex-husband's 
who's also the director Neil Simon yeah yeah Neil Simon uh, their their marriage yeah. and divorce is kind of uh, Jane Fonda in the China Syndrome, Jill Clayburgh in Starting Over, and Sally Field won it for Norma Ray. Again, this was not the you like me, you really like me win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best actor was uh, Peter Sellers was nominated for Being There, Roy Scheider nominated for All That Jazz, Al Pacino for And Justice for All, which we didn't really talk about. Um, no. I know I saw it back in the day. Yeah. But I have. You're out of order. You're out of order. Yeah. This whole it, damn court's out of order. Yeah, it was. It was pretty much the first film where Al Pacino discovered his outdoor voice, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Lemmon for the China Syndrome and Dustin Hoffman won for Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, and I. Yes, he did a fantastic job, but yeah, choosing between Dustin Hoffman and Jack Lemmon would have been a hard choice that year. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, for Best Picture, uh, Norma Ray, Breaking Away, Apocalypse Now, All That Jazz, and Kramer vs. Kramer. And the win went to Kramer vs. Kramer. Woo! I enjoy me. I, I, you know what? I really do love Kramer vs. Kramer. I think it's a great film. Um, any films that you thought were particularly overlooked, um, underrated, or even forgotten in 1979 that... Um, didn't get the critic attention underrated I would have to say uh, the black stallion even though uh, it does it does get a little bit but from why there's Cisco Reberg there uh, I I just enjoyed it when I was when I was a kid I'm sure if I watched it now I'd still probably enjoy it um, another underrated film I thought was Dracula it didn't it didn't seem to get uh, the like the like news that it should have got or the press that it should have got. Well, it's fun that it's found its audience kind of after the fact too. So, yeah. home video Dracula really benefited from home video. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll high school. Um, it yeah it it got cult status yeah. after that. So it was, and when a stranger calls, that became a new urban legend. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's just underrated movies cool good list good list. Uh, how about yourself um myself um i picked tim the the early mel gibson piper laurie film uh like i said you know they they really um could have gone to a pretty icky place with it and it wasn't that way at all i mean maybe cry <laughs> uh the electric horseman i i love the movie i would sit down and watch it right now if i had a copy of it I, and i think i'm gonna pretty actively find myself a copy of it because thinking about it again really makes me want to see it and i hope that that's what this whole us doing this does for somebody you know makes them want to go out and see these movies be it for the first time or again but the electric horseman i i would really love to watch again um also the champ again another big tearjerker but it was one that i recall really getting under my skin and and i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed uh, Rock and Roll High School, of course, is on my list. Mm-hmm. And one that we didn't discuss and actually didn't get a theatrical release in 79, even though it was made in 79, is a film called Over the Edge. Have you ever seen it? I don't know. Describe it, was, it. It was the first film Matt Dillon was in. It was um, basically uh, um, a look at teen unrest in suburbia. Um, a, just a bunch of kids that... Um, 
it, it's it's that whole kind of parental divide between child and 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 and, and parent and community and kids rebelling against it stuff like that it's, it's very much a, a teen rebellion movie but it was awesome it was such a great movie um as, and especially seeing it like i think it finally made its way onto cable in the very early 80s and i was i was exactly the right age to see it and it really struck a chord with me and i would be really interested if anybody else is familiar with the film and and uh has anything to say about it well, that's not me because I'm not familiar with it and I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> How about anything that you think is pretty much overrated and best forgotten? Um, well, I think we've already touched on several of these. <laughs> uh, Manhattan. Overrated. Yeah, in a big way. Uh, I can't believe it got so many like, accolades. Uh yeah, Mariel Hemingway was kind of cute in it. Yeah, really friggin' young, yeah. eighteen. I think shooting it. I think Hemingway and um, Diane Keaton both. I think really come out of the picture unscathed. You know, um, mm-hmm. they, they. I don't think that they really damaged themselves by being in it. In fact, Hemingway probably advanced her career quite a bit. But um, Woody Allen, I think, is is to be held accountable for the mess that that movie yeah. is. Yeah, it, uh, and I understand. Yeah, he was trying something different by shooting it in black and white and all that. I, I had, I had nothing. You know, I yeah. didn't. It didn't even occur to me that I was watching a black and white movie when I was watching it. What occurred to me was, <laughs> I would love to stick <laughs> a flaming, dirty sock in his mouth and just fucking get it over with. Yeah. Um, my second overrated film for that year was Apocalypse Now. Uh, yes, I understand. A lot of people love this movie, and I I did spend the money on buying the new DVD for it and all that. But yeah, I still think it's overrated. Yeah, yeah. sue me. Rocky two. <laughs> it it's a remake of Rocky one with a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, it why it wasn't needed. Yeah, was not needed, and. Because I watched this this week, the black hole. I don't think it was overrated. Hmm. It, it it was definitely over advertised back in the day. Yeah, that that's probably one of the first movies where I fell to the hype. Yeah. Well, obviously not because you didn't watch it back then. You didn't watch it until this. Well, no, week. but I I fell to the hype in thinking that it was all that. You sort of canonized it in your own mind without uh, having actually seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for myself, a couple of best forgottens. I think the main event was a was a major um, smudge on on the careers of Streisand and, and O'Neill. Uh, Love at first bite is just best forgotten. Period. <laughs> and Apocalypse Now is so overrated that I I I, I got nothing. I nothing more than I've already said, and you've already said it. Just. Um, and and since I you know kind of bit the head off of the chicken that is uh, Manhattan, I'll, I'll leave it to bleed. So, <laughs> so shall we do our top five of 1979 and put this baby to bed? Alrighty. All right. So why don't you start us off? Life of Brian. Uh, yeah. Again, yeah. Monty, Monty Python at its at its best. I 
I just liked it. Cool. <laughs> uh, my number five is Hardcore. George C. Scott, Susan Hoobly, the 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 Lost Child thing. Um, just I, I I was so impressed with how gritty it was and really uncompromising. It's a great film. Uh, my number four is Butch and Sundance, The Early Days. Uh, again, I've already said about this. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a fun little romp in mean, the yeah. Western. I, I I liked seeing what happened to them before, like how they met. Yeah, it was good. Cool. Uh, my number four is The Electric Horseman. Jane Fonda and Robert Redford reunited years after Barefoot in the Park. It's still charming and, and great chemistry. Um, funny dramatic made me laugh made me cry i really don't need much more uh seeing my list and my number three uh pick of buck rogers in the 25th century mine is a lot less cerebral than 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 yours well, is <laughs> i don't think that my list is really that cerebral and i don't think that our lists need to be that cerebral this i think our top five should be our top fives the ones that we enjoy we have just shit all over apocalypse now and manhattan which i think would make any Film critics, knuckles, go fucking white as they grip their fucking chairs going, how can you say that? You guys know nothing, nothing. I'm, I'm just talking about films that I, my top five are films that I liked then and that I like now. Yeah, and I could watch any of these movies again. Exactly. And I have, like I've watched the Buck Rogers movie last year. Yeah. And I, I still enjoyed it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Roger. You're number three. Number three. My number three is Kramer versus Kramer. I, I love it. It it um, I, I I love the way I connected to it when it came out, um from from, from the lower level from the 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 seeing the situation and maybe taking some comfort in that somebody else was going through it. As an adult, I appreciate it for the amazing acting, and and just the very very sensitive way that they handled the whole matter. Yeah, it was a good movie. It makes you want to be a better person, you know. Yeah. My number two movie was The Jerk. Uh huh. Steve Martin, Bernadette Peters. I just, I just enjoyed the love story there. It was, it was good, and the singing and the dancing, and it was just, it was all good. Yeah. I, it was, it made me feel good watching it. Cool. Uh, my number two is Alien, which I'm having a sneaky suspicion might end up number one on yours, but. Number two for me, um, one I, I still think it's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, Ridley Scott, I just I can't like I just can't sing enough fucking praise for this movie. It's just it's just a great movie, all time great movie. Like I can't, I think when I'm eighty, I'm gonna still want to sit down and watch Alien. Yeah, so it'll it'll scare the shit out of you because because you've forgotten how to shit at that point. Oh, well, maybe <laughs> it'll scare me after the shit goes out of me because I'll be wearing adult diapers. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you were right. It is my num number one movie from 1979. Uh, can't say enough uh, high praise about it. It is an amazing movie. Yeah, above all others. Yeah, except on your list, obviously. Well, my number one pick is, and this is where it gets a little befuddling when we get into these whole release dates and stuff like that. Um, in parts of Europe, this movie was released in 79. In the U.S., it wasn't released until December of 1980. In the U.K., it wasn't released until 81. But I'm going to go by the IMDb year, which was 1979. And my pick is Roman Polanski's Tess. 
Tess is fucking devastating in the best possible way. Um, it's oh, the movie is absolutely beautiful. The cinematography is amazing. The direction is oh, it. I can sit down and watch this movie at any time. Um, it, it's based on a Tar- Thomas Hardy book. His stuff is not lightweight. I mean, this guy. Did you ever see Jude? The movie Jude. It was based on Jude the Obscure. Another no movie that pretty much fucking ripped my heart out and showed it to me. Um, it, it just reminded me of Kevin Smith's. Uh, oh. I'm I'm holding your heart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it stars Nastasia Kinski. Um, I think she was 19 or 20 at this point. Uh, her and Plansky had been involved for some time. Really? Yes. Roman, Roman Plansky yeah. with a young girl. And she is as beautiful as the film is. You mm. would be hard-pressed to find anybody more beautiful than Nastasia Kinski in, at, at the turn of the decade. Um, the book was um, a present to Roman Plansky by Sharon Tate the last time he saw her before she got on the plane to go back to America before she was murdered. She gave him the book to read, mm. and this was a passion project for him. And it shows it shows that he loved this story. That that if he had to make this movie, it just I, I can't say enough about it. I, I wish you'd seen it so that we'd we'd have a frame of reference. Maybe I'll make you watch it, but I think you'd be fucking Grandpa snoring on the chairs where we were. So, well, hey, it's I have a really comfortable chair. It's hard to not uh, sleep on. I it. guess I'll have to put a tack on it so that you. <laughs> But yeah, Tess, Tess would be my favorite for 1979 just because it is it is cinema. It is it is movies. It's what movies are supposed to be. It's something that just moves you. Gets in under your skin and, and yeah. as we saw it as as we continue to see it um yeah and i'm sure that we will watch some of these movies over and over again during our lives absolutely absolutely and there's some on this list that we still haven't seen but i'm sure that one day we will finally get the chance to and i i i scour the dvd racks when i when i go to places to try to find some of these movies like I, again, I still want to see all that jazz. I still want to see starting over. Yeah, some of them are just are really, really hard to find. Yeah, without within reason. I mean, please bear in mind that we um, we're not getting paid for this. We're not we're not making any advertising dollars off of this or anything else. So it would be very, very foolish for us to go out and start spending top dollar to buy these DVDs either online or off you know out of the regular section in DVDs and stuff like that. So when the opportunity for, for some of these ones that we've missed present themselves, we will definitely, definitely watch them. But going out and spending $20, $30 for a movie that we haven't seen, it, it's just not on the cards for this purpose. Yeah. But um, I've had a blast. Um, I, I love walking down memory lane, and I love that we're doing this one year at a time, but you know. Yeah, because like, each year is so full. It is. It and is. I'm sure that we could have spent the entire episode on aliens. Or hating on Manhattan. Or hating on Manhattan, yeah. 
And Apocalypse Now. Our next little trip down memory lane is going to be 1988. Woo! So, if if there's anything big you think you've missed in 88, you might want to catch up on it now so that uh, you can listen along. Or if you think that there's something that we better not miss, shoot us uh, uh, an email, a comment, whatever, and let us know what you think that is. Comments Mm -hmm. can be left, of course, at hermophobia.blogspot.com. Or at hermophobia at gmail.com. And that's it. That was 1979, dude. Yeah. And 1988. Wow. 1988. That brings back some memories. I, uh, off the top of my head, I can't even think of what was released in 88. I'm going to going to have fun looking. Indeed. All right. Um, Until then. Once again, this is Alan. And this is Mark. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.